let me say again, good morning. It's my pleasure to greet you in none other than the name and the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I look out this morning, I see old friends that I haven't gotten to catch up with enough and folks I'm just getting to know and folks I've never seen before. Uh, so that's a delight for me and let me encourage us all to welcome each other. Introduce yourself to three people after the service. You'll probably find that you already know two of them, but that's okay. This morning, we'll continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, our text is chapter 6, beginning with verse 45. It's on page 1008, if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles. In this passage, Mark is saying something without coming right out and saying it. The writer of this gospel, he doesn't just tell us, but he shows us something about Jesus. But what? Keep that in mind as we read. Let's listen again to the word of the Lord. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on the land. Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then Jesus climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to whoever to wherever they heard he was, and wherever Jesus went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When have you felt scared? scared and far from God. Think of a time when you were straining just to keep your head above water and you were afraid. That's where the disciples find themselves after what was arguably the best meal of their lives. The meal that they had was big in every sense. It was the culmination of a whole day of teaching, and there were over 5,000 guests. 
And despite its meager beginnings, five loaves, two fish, there was plenty of food. Everyone ate and was satisfied. There was even food to spare. But Jesus doesn't let the disciples linger at the table. As soon as they finish serving and eating and packing up leftovers, Jesus hurries them into the boat and on to the next destination. Why? Perhaps Jesus wanted to spare the disciples a long wait. Anyone who lives with an extrovert or any pastor's family knows what it's like to try to leave the party. Oh, just let me say a few goodbyes. And 40 minutes later, you find your household waiting in the car. Perhaps Jesus just wanted to be alone. Wouldn't you try and arrange a moment by yourself after ministering to thousands? I would. And that's what Jesus does. He sends off his disciples, takes leave of the crowd, and goes up on the mountain to pray. Every parent stuck in a full house during COVID can relate to this Jesus, seeking a moment away from the needy hordes and chatter. But that's not all that's going on here. It's good to ask, can I relate? Can I relate to Jesus? Can I relate to the disciples? Can I relate to the crowds? That's a good question to ask when you read scripture. But it's not the only question to ask. It's like this. You have a stunning summer berry trifle presented to you. You can see the custard layer, the cake layer, the fruit layer, the jelly layer, and the whipped cream on top. And sure, you can stick your spoon in, scrape off some of the whipped cream, and say, oh, that was delicious. But you are supposed to eat it this way. You're supposed to dig deep and sample some of everything, the creamy custard, the chewy cake, the tart berries, the sweet jam, and all together, what do you get? A complex, rich fare. That's what scripture is like. Sure, we can skim off the top what we relate to, but Mark has given us something rich and delicious if we will savor it. It's meant not only to bring out the true flavor of our lives, but there are layers here. Layers that complement the stories of Israel, more layers that tell us what Mark's story is about. So let's savor these layers together. Yes, we have a relatable Jesus who needs to be alone. Whew. But we dig a little deeper and discover in this action of going up on a mountain to pray, well, the savor of Moses, whom we just read about, who meets God on a mountain. This all smacks of the Exodus story. We've spent five weeks, I think, in Mark chapter 6, and it all sounds a lot like the Exodus story. But let's take another bite. Mark tells us just three times in his whole gospel that Jesus prayed. One was before appointing the apostles. One was before his death as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And one is now. So it kind of gets you wondering, what's coming? What's going on here? Well, something pretty strange, in fact. 
First, Jesus sees. In the dark of night, from his perch on the mountain, Jesus somehow sees his disciples straining at the oars, working desperately with the elements against them. Jesus goes. Jesus somehow puts one foot in front of the other and makes his way on top of the water, treading upon the waves. Jesus was about to pass them by, but the disciples were terrified. So Jesus says, it is I, ego me, do not be afraid. What's going on here? Well, before we put ourselves in the boat with Jesus, let's dig deeper so we can see who is beside us. Think for a moment. Who sees as Jesus saw? Whose sight can penetrate the darkness? Who sees us when no one else can? Who treads upon the waters? Who is the master of the wind and the waves? Who says, it is I? Do not be afraid. Who does these things? None other than the Lord himself. Remember? Remember the Lord who called to Moses from a burning bush? What did he say? He said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt, heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. The Lord, Yahweh, sees. Go, the Lord commands Moses. Go bring my people out of Egypt. I will be with you. The Lord goes. Tell the Israelites, my people, I am who I am. Ego a me. It is me who sends you. It is none other than God who identifies himself this way. The Lord, the great I am. And what is the climax of Israel's flight from Egypt? When the Lord pushes back the wind and the waves and leads Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground, as Psalm 77 recalls, the Lord's path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. What Mark never says in so many words, but what he shows us is that this Jesus, whom the crowds figured for John the Baptist or Elijah or another kind of wonder-working prophet, this Jesus was none other than the incarnation of the Lord God himself. The last time the disciples were on the boat, Jesus calmed the storm, and they were afraid. And they said, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus answers. He answers them here. He doesn't tell them yet, but he tries to show them. He hides his disciples in a little boat in the cleft of the waves in order that he might you remember what it said? Pass them by. I don't think that means he wanted to just sort of check on them and keep walking. He hid them in a boat in order to pass them by to show them his glory in that Old Testament Moses sense 
Jesus had planned an epiphany for his disciples out on the choppy sea, a show of glory in the midst of the waves. But the disciples were afraid. Their hearts were hard. Despite all they had seen and done, despite the abundance of the feast just laid before them, they, like Israel, were hard-hearted. Like Herod, they mistook Jesus for a ghost. So what does Jesus do? Throw up his hands and curse his thick-headed followers? Turn around and go back to the mountain? Seek out the crowd and find another twelve? No, he gets into the boat. The incarnation of the living God, the one who created heaven and earth, who measured the waters of the sea and the stars of the heaven with his own hand, this God steps into the boat with a stiff-necked people, people that were too afraid to recognize the light of the world before them. Friends, isn't this the gospel? When we were blind and hard-hearted, Jesus got into our boat. By the wood of the cross, he steers us to safety. And it is then and only then when the waters of death engulfed him but could not swallow him up, it's then that his glory is fully and finally revealed. There is in this text a comfort and a warning for us. The comfort is this, that when you are far from God and afraid, the Lord comes near. He sees you in the dark of night when no one else knows you are awake. He comes to your side through the closed doors of a hospital room or when you're in the middle of a hostile crowd. Jesus sees us when we are battered by the storms of life whether they are storms of our own making or a stormy sea we've stumbled upon. Though we cannot and dare not explain it, there is no situation that Jesus cannot penetrate, no terrain he will not traverse to be with us. And maybe, just maybe, in the midst of the storm, you will catch a glimpse of his glory. Maybe, just maybe, in the middle of the waves, he will pass you by. Stephen saw it. When he looked up to heaven as he was being stoned to death, he saw the glory of the Lord. Read about it in Acts chapter 8. Julian saw it. As she laid on her bed, deathly ill in 14th century England, this woman, Julian, had visions, showings of a God who was both great and near. Read about it in her account, Revelation of Divine Love. There are countless other saints in between, and many of you who have caught just a glimpse of the Lord's glory in the middle of a storm. One person I know says that she saw angels guarding her after the untimely and scary death of her parent. Another heard the Lord's quiet assurance 
through a familiar image after he had received a difficult diagnosis. And still another just recalls a sudden answer to prayer in a moment of crisis. Perhaps you too have caught a glimpse of the Lord's glory in the midst of a storm. But if not, if all you were aware of was fear and confusion and shock, let me assure you that nonetheless, Jesus was in the boat with you, riding out the storm. Even as we feel ourselves tossed about by the swell and crash of COVID, the Lord has not abandoned us. And it may very well be that as we endure this hurricane, a hurricane that is battering our life together, blowing us in every direction, laying bare some of the most vulnerable places in our church and our society, it may very well be that Christ will pass us by as we strain at the oars and that together we will catch a glimpse of his glory. Meanwhile, the ship which carries the disciples, that is the church, is tossed and shaken by the tempest of temptation and the contrary wind, that is the devil, her adversary, rests not and strives to hinder her from arriving at rest. This is what St. Augustine writes in his homily on this text. He continues, But greater is he who makes intercession for us. For in this, our tossing to and fro in which we toil, the Lord gives us confidence in coming to us and strengthening us. But... Only let us not in our trouble throw ourselves out of the ship and cast ourselves into the sea. Friends, there's the warning. Somehow, sometimes, those who have seen the most can be the most hardened, and they can throw themselves overboard in despair. The disciples who had been closest to Jesus don't respond as readily as the crowds. And as we will see in the next episode in the boat, yes, there's another coming up in chapter 8. The line between insider and outsider, between the disciples, the one to whom Jesus has given the secret of the kingdom, and everyone else. Well, that line is starting to get very blurred. The disciples are repeating the history of Israel. But if you read the letters of the New Testament or know anything about church history, you'll recognize that the church, too, though in possession of the gospel and the spirit, faces the same temptations to jump ship to go back to Egypt, to give up on the faith. I know that a pandemic on the heels of a chaotic political season has left many adrift. But the Lord is undeterred. He is undeterred by the timidity and small-mindedness of his people. He will nonetheless steer us to safety. Take 
courage, friends, and remain in the boat. Let's pray together. Lord, you see. You see each one of us and us together more clearly than we see ourselves this morning. You know if we have one foot out, we're ready to paddle away. You know if we're fearful and taking cover or enjoying a moment of relief from the storm. Lord, you know. We pray together that you would come to us in this moment. That you would give us eyes to see you. And let us participate in your joyful announcement of good news and your healing. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is none other than Lord and God. Amen. seems to be kind of a theme that a good meal is followed by a big storm. Think about that as we come to this table. Jesus was eager to celebrate this Passover meal with his disciples. And though they knew that they were in danger, though they knew that what was coming wouldn't be easy, they had no idea that their teacher would die not as a glorious martyr, but as a rejected criminal. They had no idea of the storm that awaited them, and that in that moment of terror, they would be afraid. They would deny. They would abandon. They would flee from their Lord. And yet, nonetheless, Jesus offers them and us this meal. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body, broken for you, all of you, take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, Poured out in my blood, for you and for many, all of you drink it. This cup is for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death together until he comes again. Let's pray. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are yours. All creation sings your praise. And yet you have come to us. You have stepped into our boat. You have taken on our flesh and blood and given us your very life to save us. We pray, Lord, in your mercy that you would come to us again at this table. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, take these common elements? 
and make them to be for us your body and blood. We ask in the power and name of Jesus. Amen. Servers, you may come forward and let me offer the rest of you a bit of instruction. Uh, please remain seated. An usher will come forward and release you. Uh, come forward to receive the bread with your mask on. Uh, receive a piece of bread and then dip it, flip it, and slip it. As we've learned, uh, please feel free to remain seated and receive a celebration cup if you'd be more comfortable with that. And if you don't recognize yourself as yet a follower of Jesus, however feeble your faith may be, then please feel free to come forward, but instead of participating in this meal, simply cross your, <laughs> cross your arms across your chest, and we will offer you a blessing. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, 